Well, as John has already reminded us, it's nearly Christmas. It's only 30 sleeps uh, until Christmas. And as he said, as we get nearer to that day, the question that people will keep asking you over the next few weeks is, are you ready? Are you ready? Some people will ask you that question kind of bouncing up and down with excitement. Others will ask it kind of full of dread. But everyone will keep asking, are you ready? By which we mean, have you got all your presents? Have you ordered the turkey? Have you sent the cards you need to send? Have you got the decorations down from the loft? Are you ready for Christmas? It's the question that everybody asks this time of year. And as we've been asking so far this morning, it's the question that we're going to be thinking about over the next few morning services as we look at Matthew chapter 25. However, unsurprisingly, we're not thinking about whether we're ready for Christmas, whether we've got our turkey and our tinsel ready. But as Gareth has already shown us this morning, we're thinking about that question, are you ready for the return of Christ? That's what Matthew chapter 24 and 25 is all about. In chapter 24, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, to the cross. And he warns the disciples of hard times ahead. He tells them that that things are going to get a lot worse before they get any better. But then he reassures them. He reassures them that the hard times won't last forever. In fact, they are signs. They are reminders that he is going to come back. He will return. And so in chapter 25, he he tells this series of parables, stories, designed to reassure his followers that he will come back and to tell them how they are to live as they wait for that day, how to be ready. And the first thing that we see here in chapter 25 is that there will be a delay. There'll be a delay. Look at verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Jesus says his return is going to be a bit like a wedding day, a bit like the arrival of a bridegroom at his wedding. Jesus is the bridegroom. And Christians, well, they're they're like these ten virgins, or we might call them bridesmaids, part of the bridal party, eagerly awaiting the arrival of the bridegroom and the start of the big day. And like every good wedding, there's excitement, there's anticipation, and then in verse 5, there's a delay. Look at verse 5. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. I don't know what you're like at waiting. I am terrible. I'm so impatient, whether it's queuing in Lidl or or, or sitting in traffic out on Leatherhead Road, I really hate waiting. I really hate waiting. And the problem for impatient people like me is that when we think about waiting and we think about it in terms of the Bible, we realise that waiting is actually a really big theme. Last Sunday we finished our evening service series in Genesis, looking at Genesis chapter 12. We finished by looking at those amazing promises to Abraham. God's promise of a people, a place 
and his blessing. But as amazing as those promises were, Abraham had to wait, didn't he? God didn't fulfill his promises on that same day, that week, that month, that year. In fact, Abraham waited his entire life and he still didn't see the final fulfillment of all that God had promised him. If you've been in life groups this term, you'll know, as you've seen, that the fulfillment of those promises, well, it comes thousands of years later. God's people in the Old Testament waited for the arrival of the Messiah, waited for the one who would fulfill all of God's promises. God's people in the Old Testament were awaiting people. And the same is true as we come to the New Testament. We are still a waiting people. One of the big themes in the New Testament is Christ's return. Uh, He's come once. He promises he will come again. And so Christians, well, we're called to wait. We are waiting for the arrival of the bridegroom, waiting for our wedding day. Waiting is a big theme in the Bible. But it's not something that I think I like to, we like to talk or think much about, is it? Uh, That's partly because we live in an instant culture. We live in an age where over 100 million people have Amazon Prime. I'm sure there's people this morning that are thinking about signing up to Amazon Prime just in time for the Christmas rush because we don't want to have to wait more than 24 hours for our deliveries. Or we live at a time where 137 million people, myself included, have Netflix to ensure that we don't have that horrible situation where we have to wait a whole week for the next episode of our favourite programme. We can't bear to wait. We live in an instant culture. Everything is designed to be immediate, to be now. And so inevitably that makes us more impatient, doesn't it? My mum used to say to me that the best things come to those who wait. I think I'm more likely now to say to my daughter, Imi, that something's not worth the wait. We just don't like waiting. And so when it comes to the idea of Christ's return, and that being something that we have to wait for, that the best isn't now something that we could have now, but something to come, well, that goes against everything that we're used to. We'd rather focus on the here and now, the instant and the immediate. If we can't have it now, then it's not worth having at all. And so our instant culture means that we don't think much about the return of Christ. So does our comfortable culture. In general, life in the West today is better than it's ever been. Of course, we all experience times of struggle. Of course, there are issues out there that we face. But most of us this morning, for most of us this morning, life is pretty good. It was only a few weeks ago, wasn't it, that we remembered the end of the First World War. And compared to people from that generation, we have more disposable time and money than they could have dreamt of. If you have a f- food in your fridge, if you have clothes on your back and a roof over your head, then you are richer than 75% of the world's population. Compared to the majority of people in the world, 
we here in this room live in extremely comfortable circumstances. And it seems that the more comfortable that we are now, the less excited we become about then. I've spoken to countless Christians who admit that they're not all actually that excited about Christ's return. Christians who struggle to pray, come Lord Jesus, come. It's largely because they're quite enjoying life now. It's the Christians around the world who experience persecution and suffering for their faith that are most excited about the day of Christ's return. We live in an instant culture, we live in a comfortable culture, and we've been waiting a long time. It's been over 2,000 years since Jesus said he would come back. And that feels like a long time. It is a long time. In fact, to most people, it's laughably long. To most people, a bloke 2,000 years ago saying that he'll come back some point in the future is ridiculous. All that stuff, that Jesus stuff, happened a long time ago, they say to us. It was so long ago that we can't even really be sure it actually happened at all. And even if it did happen, let's just say it did happen, life has carried on. Society has moved on. Stop talking about Jesus coming back. It's ridiculous. We hear that kind of thing again and again, and something in us begins to think, maybe they're right. Maybe, maybe I have made a really big mistake. It has been a really long time, after all. Well, if that's a doubt that you have this morning, then remember what Jesus is saying, first of all, here in this parable. Verse 5, the bridegroom was a long time in coming. There'll be a delay. There will be a delay, but that does not mean the wedding has been cancelled. Just look at verse 6. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. There'll be a delay, but we are to be in no doubt. Jesus will return. He will come back. And when he does, there'll be a division. There'll be a division. That's the next thing that we see in the parable. There'll be a division. Verse 6, the cry goes out, the bridegroom is coming, he's here. And you can imagine, can't you, the bridesmaids, uh, those women who have fallen asleep because they've been waiting so long, suddenly wake up. Uh, They're startled. They realize he's coming down the road. They need to try and get themselves ready. Uh, And notice that all of them are, are caught out by this surprise. All ten, wise and foolish, have fallen asleep. And so all of them are taken by surprise at the arrival of the bridegroom. Back in chapter 24, Jesus has already said that no one knows the day or the hour except the Father. That it will be like a thief in the night when he comes. It will be a surprise to everyone. All will be surprised by Christ's return, but only some will be ready. Five of the bridesmaids are prepared and five aren't. Look at verse 10. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. 
But he replied, truly I tell you, I do not know you. There are ten bridesmaids at the start. All all of them confidently expect to be welcomed into the wedding feast. But when the time comes, only five actually get in. And here, I think, is the shock in this parable. When Jesus comes, there'll be a division. Not everyone will enter the wedding feast. Despite what we might want to think or like to think, despite what some professing Christian pastors and teachers might say, not everyone will go with Jesus into heaven. At the end of time, there will be a clear division. The wise bridesmaids join the party, but then the door is shut. And it's clearly a shock to the bridesmaids who are left on the outside. Just look at verse 11. They bang on the door. Lord, Lord, open the door. There's been a terrible mistake. We're meant to be in there with you. We're part of the bridal party. Lord, let us in. The foolish bridesmaids are shocked to find themselves on the outside. And so just imagine for a moment a a, a man who's heard that there's a party going on down the road. Uh, He thinks he should have been invited. In fact, he assumes he was invited. Uh, Perhaps his invitation got lost in the post somewhere. Uh, He hears it's a black tie event and so he, he quickly kind of smartens himself up and he makes his way down to the house. He rings the doorbell. And the host opens the door, and there's a completely blank expression on his face. The man thinks it's a little bit odd, and so he sort of just tries to walk in past, but the host stops him and says, I'm really sorry, but I don't think we've met. I don't know you. And then the door is shut. That, says Jesus will sadly be the experience of many on the last day, confident that they will be getting in. But the door is shut. And for those shut out, for those who hear those words, I do not know you, that'll be hell. All of us know the pain of exclusion. All of us know what it's like to be shut out. And for some, Jesus says, that'll be their experience for all eternity. Shut out from the presence of God. Jesus says he will return. And when he does, there'll be a division. Not all will enter the wedding feast. So make sure you're ready. Make sure you're ready. That's the third thing that we see. We must be ready. Look at verse 13. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Keep watch, says Jesus. Make sure you're ready. That's the contrast between the wise and foolish virgins back in verses 3 and 4. Midnight strikes, the bridegroom comes, and five of them have enough oil for their lamps. But the other five run out. The wise are ready, the foolish are not. And it's tempting, isn't it, as we, as we look at parables to try and kind of find the meaning of every little detail. And so we might wonder, what does the lamp represent? What about the oil? What does it mean? But that's not how parables tend to work. 
You see, parables, they, they tend to have one main teaching point, one response for the listener. And in this parable, the response is just to be ready. Jesus doesn't say much about what readiness will look like. That's the theme of the next two parables that we're going to see. Now here, he simply wants us to understand that we must be ready for his return. And that being ready is our own responsibility. Look at verse 8. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Again, remember, this isn't a parable about being generous or sharing. It's a parable about being ready. And so Jesus says being ready is our own responsibility. We can't rely on anyone else to be ready for us. And so a few weeks ago, a bunch of the ministry team went to a conference down in Torquay. We got the train down there, and it would have been really foolish of me if when the ticket inspector came round and asked for my train ticket, I just said, oh, oh, I'm really sorry, I don't have my own ticket, but this man next to me, Daff, he's got a ticket, and I'm with him, so that should be fine, shouldn't it? It would be a very strange, foolish thing for me to do. We wouldn't do that. And Jesus says we cannot rely on other people to be ready for us. And so when he returns, it'll be no use to say, well, I've grown up in a Christian home. My parents took the Christianity thing really seriously. I had nothing against it. I even went to church with them fairly often. It'll be no use to say, all of my friends are Christians. I spend most of my time with Christians. I admire their faith. I I like the way that they live, the things that they do and say. I I even went to Christianity Explored with one of them once. Now, those things will be no use. Because we cannot rely on other people to be ready for us. Jesus says you must be ready. And you need to be ready today. At the start of the parable, all of the bridesmaids expected to enter the party, didn't they? Presumably at some point they all agreed to be bridesmaids. All of them made some sort of decision to be there. All of them felt that initial excitement about the the upcoming wedding. But by verse 10, none of that really matters anymore. By verse 10, all that matters is being ready when the bridegroom actually arrives. Because while the foolish bridesmaids are out buying their oil, the bridegroom comes. The wedding feast begins and the door is shut. The foolish ones miss out because when the time comes, they're not ready. And again, on the last day, when Jesus returns, there will be some people who will think that because they grew up going to church, or because they were baptised as a teenager, or because they prayed a prayer 20 years ago, that they'll knock on the door of heaven and expect to be let in. There will be some who, like the foolish bridesmaids, say, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. We're meant to be in there. And the bridegroom will come out and say to them, I never knew you. You see, the question this parable asks is not, did you respond to an invitation 20 years ago? 
Or can you remember a time when you believed some of this stuff? No, the question this parable asks is, are you ready today? Do you know Christ now? That's what's at the heart of the readiness that Jesus talks about. Do you know him? His return creates a division, doesn't it, between those who know him and those who don't know him. That's the issue. Not whether we come from a Christian home or friendship group, not whether we've been baptised or confirmed, not whether we've lived a good moral life, not whether we've been sympathetic towards the Bible's teaching. No, the issue is simply, do you know Christ today? Are you trusting in him for the forgiveness of your sins today? Are you daily turning away from your sin and seeking to live for him as your Lord and Saviour today? And that invitation to know Christ now, to know him today, is something that he offers each one of us. All of us, whoever we are, have the opportunity to know Christ now. And so be ready for when he returns. And so can I say that if you've come to church this morning and you've realised that you perhaps don't really know Christ, come and speak to me. Come and speak to someone who's brought you along, a Christian friend. Don't leave this morning unprepared. Make sure you're ready today. And for those of us this morning that do know Christ, the question this parable asks is still the same. It is still, are you ready? Are you being wise? Wisdom in the Bible is essentially living according to reality. Living according to God's reality. The things that he says are true about this world. And so in the case of this parable, wisdom means living according to the reality of Christ's return. And so I'd encourage you to ask yourself, as I've been asking myself this week, am I living in eager expectation for Christ's return? Do I live each day in the light of that reality. As I've said, we're going to see in the next two parables what that life should look like. But at the very least, we can ask ourselves and each other this morning whether we've become so comfortable in this life that we're actually not that bothered about Christ coming back. Whether we're so busy with the here and now, all that we've got to do, so, so distracted, so impatient, so obsessed with the immediate, that we no longer live in anticipation of Christ's return and excitement about the world to come. If that's you, then why not use this coming season of Advent to change that? After all, Advent is all about Waiting. As we remember the time of Christ's first coming and celebrate all that that means for us, we also look forward to and anticipate his second coming, his return. We get excited about the day when the bridegroom will come and he will take his people to enjoy the wedding feast with him forever. We look forward to the day when Christ returns and we can rejoice with him for all 
eternity. That is what we're waiting for. And so let's pray that we would be people who are clearly in our lives waiting for the return of Christ, excited about that prospect. And let's pray that we would be ready for that day. Let's pray. Isaiah describes that great wedding feast like this. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that we can be certain this morning that Christ will return. That one day he will come back and take his people, his bride, to be with him forever. Thank you that we can look forward to the great wedding feast of the King. And so we pray that each one of us would be ready for that day. That we would trust in and know Christ today. And because of that, be confident about our future with him. We ask this in his precious name. Amen.